We would take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ruth as we wrap up our series on the life of Ruth. If the Bible ever contained a story with as much excitement and anticipation as a fairy tale, this has to be the story. The only difference is this. The story is not a made-up fairy tale. It's a true story. A story once sad, which ends in joy and excitement. As we come to the end of this incredible story, let's be reminded of a few things that God has the ability to do. I'm of a firm believer that everything in God's Word is true. Not just portions of it, not just certain sections of it, but every bit of it. And as we read through this story, there are so many things you say, well, that was way back then, but this is now, this is today. And can I still say, what was written thousands of years ago is still true today. And as we read through this story, it still has many applications for our life as we live it, even in 2016. And I'm reminded of several things that God has the ability to do. I want to just list three things that God has the ability to do. And then as we look at the first one, we're going to do some review as we come back into chapter 4. Number one, God has the ability to change the result of a sinful choice into an outcome for His glory. God has the ability to change the result of a sinful choice into an outcome for His glory. Number two, God has the ability to restore joy to a life riddled with disappointment and pain. I hope you understand that. God has the ability to restore joy to a life riddled with disappointment and pain. And then number three, God has the ability to bless beyond our imagination. I hope you know that. God has the ability to bless beyond our wildest imagination. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at Your Word this morning, I pray, God, that we might be reminded of what You have the ability to do. Lord, not only these three things, Lord, but also so many other things. Sometimes in our day-to-day living, we forget that the Word of God is still true. And the stories and the miracles that we're aware of, Lord, still have application to our life today. And I thank You, God, for the stories that are recorded, for the miracles that are recorded, because it gives us hope through difficult days, Lord, that You are still on the throne, that You are still able to do great and mighty things. And I pray, God, if there be one here today, Lord, that are going through these kinds of struggles, might today be a day that they would see that You're a powerful God, that You can take everything that has been done wrong and make it right, that You alone would be glorified in the end. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, as we get started this morning, I want to just review, in a nutshell, what took place in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and as we wrap up the series in chapter 4. But if you remember in chapter 1, there was no king, and people were doing whatever they wanted. say, well, how do I know that? Well, in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, It says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did whatever he wanted. There was chaos in the land. Uh, There was no real leadership. There was no real person on a throne that was directing the people. So there was everybody doing whatever they wanted, whatever was right in their own eyes. 
There was also a famine in the land, and the people were hungry. And as we said many times, that people will do desperate things in desperate times. And as a result of it, Elimelech chose to move his family to the sinful land of Moab. Say, what's the big deal? If there's no food here and if there's nothing to live for here, why not go somewhere else where there's possibly something better? Well, the problem is that they chose to go to the sinful land of Moab where God was against them. They were uh, a pagan land, a pagan people who would not honor God, who would not acknowledge who God was. And God said that they would basically be shut off to the tenth generation. And God said He didn't want people who were His people having anything to do with Him. And this is the land that Elimelech chose to bring his family to. But of course we read in chapter 1 that while in the land of Moab, Naomi's two sons, Malon and Chilion, as well as her uh, husband Elimelech, were, uh, they had died. Although God does not give us all the details regarding their deaths, they are gone. And so you can see how Naomi is beginning to become very bitter as we read towards the end. Ruth and Naomi hearing that God was, I'm sorry, while in the land there, their, their deaths had taken place. And then hearing that God was blessing Bethlehem once again, she chooses to return to her homeland. And in that decision, her two daughters-in-law made two very different decisions. Orpah decided to stay in the land of Moab with her people, with her gods, with her traditions and so forth. Well, Ruth made a monumental decision to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And, uh, and she made that commitment that her land would be her land, or Naomi's land would be Ruth's land, and her people would be Ruth's people, and her God would be Ruth's God, and so forth. So this decision would have an incredible impact on the future of her life. And so Naomi, upon return to her homeland, changes her name to Mara as she believes that God has made her very bitter. She believes that God has done this to her. As it says in the end of chapter 1, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, as God has made me very bitter. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. As we come into chapter 2, Ruth asks Naomi for permission to glean in the fields as it was time of the harvest. You say, well, what's significant about that? In every aspect of Ruth's life, she showed humility and honor and respect to whoever she was around. She has the ability as a foreigner to go into this land and to become a gleaner and to find some grains that would help her and her family survive, but she didn't just do it of her own volition. She surrenders herself to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and asks for permission to glean in the fields. Then as she gets to the fields, she once again surrenders herself to the supervisors in charge, to the leaders that are out there, Boaz's men, and once again asks them for permission to glean in the fields as well. But we find out in chapter 2 that Ruth finds favor in Boaz's eyes as he tells her not to glean in any other fields than his own. And Boaz makes sure that there is plenty of grain to pick up. And there is food and water available when needed. And to Ruth, that she is protected from those who might potentially do her harm. She found incredible favor in a man named Boaz. And as we come into chapter 3, Naomi develops a plan for Ruth to appeal to Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. Ruth presents herself to Boaz, and Boaz commits to being her kinsman redeemer so long as the other redeemer does not want the responsibility of taking her and Naomi in. And you see, that's an interesting thing that takes place as we are reminded 
that as she presented herself to Boaz, it was not in any sexual innuendo way. It was not in a way that was revealing herself. It was simply a process to request that he become her kinsman redeemer. And as he laid that talith, that blanket across her feet, he was signifying that he would take the responsibility of taking care of her from that day forward, so long as the other redeemer did not want that responsibility. And as we come into chapter 4, Boaz goes into the town gates where all the, the business transactions take place, and he waits for the other redeemer to come forth. And as the other Redeemer comes forth, he calls out ten men to be witnesses of the conversation that would take place. And he understands that there is a land that Elimelech had left behind that somebody would have to pay for. And they're all too willing to get the land. However, with the land came the responsibility of taking care of both Ruth and Naomi. Well, then he didn't want to do that because if I inherit this land to preserve a name, then eventually that namesake would inherit the land. And he says, I'm out of it anyway. So he refused the responsibility. And now we come into the end of chapter 4. After all these things, in about one verse, a sinful choice by Elimelech to move to Moab... It's transformed in an outcome for God's glory. If you would, look along with verse 13 as I read this verse. Chapter 4, verse 13. So, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he was intimate with her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Think about that. In just a moment, a wedding, a honeymoon, a... Marriage consum- a home begun, a marriage consummated, and a healthy child delivered. All to God's glory in one verse. You say, well, that took place in a hurry. Yes, it did. I mean, in one verse we see that he is married, a home has begun, a marriage is consummated, a child is born, and wow, you say, happily ever after, right? But that is exactly what God is able to do. And throughout history and throughout the Bible, we see that what started out as a sinful choice, God is able to turn around to create an outcome for His own glory. And how many times have we seen that in our lifetime? What God is able to do. Talk about sinful choices. God can forgive. I think of the life of David, who in his selfishness and in his boldness, He goes out and goes after Bathsheba, and he sins with her. And God uh, works in such a way that as Nathan approaches David and and shares the story of what has happened, he realizes it's the story of his own life and how his sinfulness has caused the death of others. And sinfulness, as we understand it, has great consequences. But as he was confronted regarding his sin... What did David do? He acknowledged his sin. He repented of his sin. And God was able to take what was wrong and forgive him and make something good come out of it. He restored a life riddled with sinful decisions into something for his own glory. And what did God later say of David? He was a man after my own heart. God can deal with sinfulness 
through forgiveness. We'll say, well, what's, what's the process of that confession? You see, God will forgive if we will confess. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is all about. If we confess our sins, He is faithful just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is a God of forgiveness when we acknowledge our sin before Him and repent of it. Wrong decisions, God can restore them. Can you imagine being Peter? I can relate with him once in a while. And his, uh, in the moment attitude and in the moment actions that he often performed. God, I'll never, or Jesus, I'll never deny you. Right. But what did he do? He denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Wrong decisions, God can restore. And we know that throughout Scripture that God did forgive Peter. And he restored him. How about hurt and disappointment? How about Naomi? Can you imagine this? And we're going to spend a little more time on this in just a moment. But as Naomi left her homeland, I'm sure that was not easy. As she went to the new land of Moab and lost her husband. And lost Malon. And lost Chilion, her two sons. And she is convinced that her life is plagued by bitterness that God has bestowed on her. Hurts and disappointments of life's decisions, God can heal those. God can heal those. Or how about anxiety and worry? God offers peace. He says, peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, but my peace I give unto you. That's exactly what God is able to do, and that's exactly what God did in the life of Naomi and Ruth. Number two, God has the ability to restore joy to a life riddled with disappointment and pain. Look at verses 14 through 16. It says, Then the women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child, placed him in her, on her lap, and took care of him. God has the ability to restore joy to a life riddled with disappointment and pain. Put yourself for a moment in Naomi's sandals. She thought that the Almighty had made her bitter. In reality, how Naomi responded to her circumstances is what made her very bitter. And we find this as, as at the end of chapter 1. As she comes back, she says, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. She blamed her bitterness on God. But isn't that like most people going through difficulties and trials? God did this to me. Or, in our selfishness, we have to find somebody else to blame our problems on. Never mind that we responded wrong. Never mind that I made a poor choice. Never mind that I did it my way. It has to be somebody else's fault. Because in our human nature, we don't want to take responsibility for our own sinful actions. And in these circumstances, Naomi believed in her heart at first that God was the one responsible for her bitterness, according to the end of chapter 1. But in reality, it was how she chose to respond to those things. You see, none of us has the ability 
to choose the things that God allows in our life sometimes. None of us wakes up in the morning and says, Whew, thank God I got cancer. You say, well, that's crazy. That's right, because we would never choose that. None of us wakes up in the morning and says, Wow, I think it's a great day to get sick, because I just really enjoy being sick. We don't have a choice in some, those things sometimes. But every one of us has a choice as to how we're going to respond to those things. We do have that choice. And we can either look at it internally and say, Wow, um, I don't like this and I, and I want to blame somebody for it and it's because of this I got it or God is judging me because of that or whatever the circumstance may be. Or we can say, God, I don't like it, but you have a reason for allowing it. So therefore, God, help me to respond rightly to these things that you've allowed in my life. I can either pin my problems on something or someone else Or I can say, God, teach me what you want me to learn through it. But God has the ability to restore joy to a life riddled with disappointment and pain. She thought that she would never experience joy again in her life. You see, she didn't go back to Bethlehem because it was just such a great place and all of her friends were there and, you know, that was her homeland. She went back. Why? Because she thought there was food back there. At least there, with my husband gone, with my kids gone, I might be able to at least live. But now God has blessed Naomi beyond comprehension. Isn't that awesome? Naomi has a daughter who has a provider, a kinsman redeemer. Naomi has a secure future. And now Naomi has the blessings of a grandchild. But that is exactly what God is able to do. Isn't that awesome? Take the hurt, take the disappointments of life, and turn them into something completely different that would glorify Him and restore joy back to my life. How many times have we heard stories about God restoring life to someone who's an addict? Addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, addicted to pornography, addicted to whatever it may be. And God enters the picture. And there is confession and repentance. And God begins the process of restoration. How many times has God restored joy to one who's been an addict? How many times has God given a new spouse to someone who has lost their spouse to sickness or some sort of accident. And the love that they thought could never be replaced, and it can't, but God can bring love back. And God can bring joy back to the one who has experienced loss. How many times has God given back financially or materially to someone who has lost everything to a fire, to some sort of financial investment that didn't turn out as anticipated? then God restores and replaces and and allows us to have joy once again. That's exactly what God is able to do. Consider just for a moment. Remember this man in the Bible, his name was Job. What did Job lose? Everything. Took his family. God allowed his family to be taken. His Material wealth, 
his farmland, his animals, his servants, everything that he had, God allowed it to be taken away. And Job says, Naked I came out of the womb, and naked shall return thither, and so be it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, Job could have had, from a human perspective, every right to be ticked off. Most of us would have been. And maybe one of those things, let alone all of those things. And what did God's word tell us regarding Job? God, in his grace, restored all that had been taken. Because that's what God is able to do. He doesn't always do it, but he has the ability to. Or how about David? Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 30, he goes back to Ziklag, which was his village. And what did he find there? A home and hot chocolate and everything waiting for him because he's been out on the run? No. Everything that he had come home to. The village had been burned. The women and children had been taken. The village had been plundered. And all of his friends who had stood with him spoke of stoning him. It's your fault, David. Everything he had had was now gone. And it tells us in the middle of 1 Samuel 30 that David comforted himself in the words, encouraged himself in the words of the Lord his God. But it goes on to say that he recovered all that had been taken. All. He didn't have to do it, but God chose because he has the ability to restore joy to a life that's riddled with pain. And that's exactly what he did with Naomi. Can you imagine just for a moment... Naomi's thinking probably, as maybe many of you would, when you get to that age, you kind of start thinking about the grandchildren. Kind of can't wait till your kids start having kids. And all of a sudden there's the prospect of, I might be a grandparent. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, husband's gone, your two kids are gone. The hope and the prospect of looking forward to a grandchild is all of a sudden gone. That would be heartbreaking. That would be hurtful to many of you. The anticipation lost. I'm sure that's how Naomi felt to some degree. Probably what she looked forward to, and I say probably, what she looked forward to was that next phase of her life. But that hope is gone, lost. And then all of a sudden, God, in His infinite mercy and grace, not only gives her daughter-in-law a new husband, but then God gives them a child which becomes her grandchild. Look what Scripture says. Look at verse 14 again. Then the women said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. The women around Naomi, the women in her life, says, Naomi, look what God has done for you. May His name become well known in Israel. 
He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. I mean, they're noticing, if you will, maybe a new spring in her step. And you know what it's like. Some of you, you kind of get a new life. You're invigorated, at least for a little while, when the grandkids come over. Then it's time to send them home. But for a few moments when they're over there, you're excited. Because they make you feel young again. And these women look at her and says, He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. And indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. That's what God is able to do. Take a life that's riddled with disappointment and pain and restore joy to it. Because he's God. And then number three. God has the ability to bless beyond imagination. Verses 16 and 17. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and took care of him. And the concept in that verse is that literally she became a major caregiver to that child. She was able to take time and just nurture that young child. You say, well, is that really a big deal? Yeah. How did it work out for Timothy? That from a child he knew the Scriptures. Why? Because of his grandmother's influence. As grandparents, you have an great ability to influence your grandkids. But your testimony and your life and your words of encouragement, the memories that you have the ability to instill in the hearts of your grandkids. And can I just say this? I thought this was really interesting. Kind of a side note. When I was a youth pastor in Elkhart, Indiana, one of the things that we tried to do was to encourage the younger generation to build relationships with the older generation. And my pastor would come to me and say, Ken, do everything you can to push the teenagers to the older folks of the church. And he goes, and at the same time, I'm going to be pushing the older folks to the younger kids. Just to encourage that relationship. You say, I might not have any grandkids. You have kids in your life that God has placed there that you can encourage and impact of another generation to serve God. I've said it many times over the years. God has given our family a lot of honorary grandparents. God has never allowed us to live in this town nearby our actual blood relatives. Don's parents live in Texas. My mom lives in Minnesota and here we are out in the middle of nowhere New York. Uh, it's not on the way to anything. <laughs> But God has given us in every place of ministry that he sent us those folks that have become like honorary grandparents to our kids. And I thank God for that. Because a lot of the honorary grandparents that have come into my life have blessed my kids, have encouraged my kids, have modeled out Christianity for my kids. And they need that. And I'm thankful to God for it. And some of you have the ability to do that even if they're not your true blood grandkids. And they'll restore joy to your life. Impact someone else. But not only did she take young Obed and become a caregiver to him. Look at verse 17. The neighbor women said, 
A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. Who's they? The neighborhood women. Now, you moms, how's that work for you? That the neighborhood named your kid. It's kind of a foreign concept, isn't it? But here's the deal. The community was involved. When they saw what God was doing, they were all rejoicing. They were all blessed beyond imagination over what God was doing. As she comes back to Bethlehem, her spirits are low. I mean, her attitude is down in the dumps. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because God has made me very bitter. And God is able to take that life that is riddled with pain and disappointment and turn it into something that will bring glory to Himself. And as God begins that work of giving Ruth a husband and giving him this kinsman redeemer, wow, the blessings that begin to come are just beyond our imagination. In closing, God has the ability to do several things in life. He has the ability to change the result of a sinful choice into an outcome for His glory. Over and over, God has done this through Scriptures. I'm still thinking of Joseph. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. Sinful choices, sinful decisions. God can turn that around. And He takes this story that is going the wrong direction and through circumstances and situations, they repent and go this way. And the end of the story is filled with joy and anticipation. Number two, God has the ability to restore joy to a life riddled with disappointment and pain. Because that's what God is able to do. I'm amazed as I look out across the congregation this morning. I know in various people's lives some real hardships that you've faced. Difficulties that that God has allowed you to go through some painful paths. But I also know that because of where you're at today, God has worked incredibly, marvelously beyond your comprehension. That's what God can do. You say, well, I'm in the middle of this situation, right? A lot of people are in the middle of a lot of situations. Beyond your control. But God is able to work through them just as he did with Ruth and Naomi, he can do it in your life too. If you try to do it in your own strength, it ain't going to work. Number three, God has the ability to bless beyond your imagination. You couldn't make this story up. Can you imagine? There are these stupid shows on TV. I've never watched one because I'm not going to take the time to waste with the Bachelor, the Bachelorette, all these dumb shows, and some wealthy millionaire guy who is given the choice after seeing all the, I don't know, was it six, ten, twenty women? I don't know, whatever it is. Maybe you know what it is. It's just dumb. It's a dumb concept. But here's the point the world thinks that if I can just get the right person, then all my problems are solved. 
I mean, here's this Boaz. He's a landowner. He's wealthy. It's a year where the famine is now over and there's bumper crops. Boy, what would it be like to... Boy, I wish I could get Boaz. That's not what God did. God, in His infinite wisdom and mercy and grace, allows a man who is able to be her Redeemer to bless Ruth and Naomi by His divine plan. didn't happen as the world would have allowed it to happen. didn't happen the way the world would expect it to happen. You couldn't have planned this. Ruth from Moab? Really? Look at this in closing. Verse 18. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram who fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nishan, who fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, who fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse, who fathered David. Then you go over to Matthew and find out through David comes the line of Jesus Christ. Is that not a blessing? That's incredible. Through a once- Disappointed relationship and death. God brings life for years to come. Because that's what God is able to do. You say, well, how does all this happen? It starts with a relationship with Him. That's where it starts. Ultimately, that's where it ends, too. But it starts with acknowledging who we are. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And then it begins... It continues with surrendering our life to His. I surrender my will. I surrender my desires. I surrender my life to His. Letting Him have control. And daily living for Him. It's not always easy. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty selfish. Don't ask my wife. She'll confirm that. And so will yours, Ben. We're selfish as humans. We want what we want, when we want, as often as we want, for as long as we want. That's our nature. And when our sinful nature is not surrendered to Jesus Christ, chaos is a result. But when I'm surrendered and living for the Lord, and I confess my sins to Him, partake of His forgiveness, He has the ability to change the result of a sinful life into an outcome for His glory. God has the ability to restore joy to a life riddled with disappointment and pain as He did for Naomi and Ruth. And God has the ability to bless beyond imagination. We have so much more to look forward to. Because one day all this will end. And eternity will come. I hope you're prepared for that. Let's pray.